Well, what a week of cricketing action we've had. South Africa has choked again. Pakistan surprised everyone, including themselves, and now find themselves in the semi-final. There's a real likelihood that we'll see a repeat of the 2007 final with India taking on Pakistan. But before that, both the teams have some tough, in-form opponents to face off in New Zealand and England. We also saw some amazing football action, and we will have Somil Arora rounding all of that for us, especially the one where Holger Rune beat Novak Djokovic to lift his first Masters 1000 title in Paris. But that's tennis, of course. But remember to subscribe or follow the show on BingePods or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, now let's jump straight into the preview of the first semi-final between New Zealand and Pakistan. Ayaz. Who are the favourites in this match for you? Well, I mean, look, you know, everybody's anticipating this great epic finale, which is India versus Pakistan. But there is a, you know, there is a mountain to climb for Pakistan, I think, because New Zealand have looked the most balanced team in many ways in this tournament. Uh, they were not the favourites to make the cut from this group. Everybody thought it would be Australia and England. But Australia have had to, you know, kind of bite the dust for some very uh, slipshod cricket in the last two matches, you know, losing out on the net run rate, not being able to keep up the tempo. And New Zealand have actually, from the from the first match that they played and they beat Australia, they've just started looking better and better and better. So, I mean, yes, they've had one defeat, but overall, I think they've looked a very good team. So, against Pakistan team, which is, to use a stereotype, very mercurial, I think New Zealand have greater batting depth on paper, which is going to be very crucial. The bowling, you might say that Pakistan has a more potent pace attack. But if you look at the bowling attack that New Zealand also has, it's extremely well-balanced. Uh, they've got Trent Bolton, Tim Southie and Lockie Ferguson, who are acknowledged white ball specialists. And Southie and Bolt are even red ball specialists. And then they've got somebody like a Jimmy Nisham who can fill in and over a two if needed. But more crucially, and especially that we've seen now how pitches are playing up, in Australia, helping spinners also. So I think Ish Sodhi and Mitch Santner could prove to be a handful for Pakistan for the Pakistan batting. I think if Pakistan's batting clicks, and that when I say that, I mean the, the top two who've actually been extremely disappointing. Babar Azam hasn't put a foot right. He just looked completely out of sorts. And Mohammad Rizwan has been, if anything, just marginally better. So unless those two guys click, I think New Zealand have the edge because their batting has clicked. The bowling is looking good. And need I say it, they look, look perhaps the best fielding side in the tournament. I mean, if you look at some of the catches that they've taken, I remember the first catch or one of the catches very early in the tournament, Glenn Phillips took. It's been matched by some other catches taken so far in the tournament, but not exceeded. And New Zealand's ground fielding is superb. Their catching is brilliant. They can be spectacular. They are athletic. They are, you know, acrobatic. All of that. Pakistan's fielding traditionally has been its weak point. And I don't think that they have shown too much brilliance or excellence in this tournament in this department. Yes, they've come up superbly in the bowling. In the last couple of matches, you found that their batting is coming together a little with Mohammad Haris, Iftikhar coming good, the middle order suddenly contributing some runs. Also, Shadab, the all-rounder. But overall, I think in batting, I certainly see New Zealand ahead. In fielding, very far ahead. And in bowling, if at all, behind, it can be only marginally behind. 
Well, that's insightful. But RK, what about the head-to-head? There are some mouth-watering matchups that are coming up. Which are the ones you're looking forward to the most? I think first things first, it's uh, SCG that where these two teams are going head-on against each other. And it's been a kind of an interesting venue. This is one of those venues which has had a bit for everybody. I think when we started this contest uh, or this tournament, you had Finn Allen going against Mitchell Stark at the SCG. So in that sense, it kind of set the tone for the entire tournament. We had, as Ayazbai was talking about, Glenn Phillips uh, doing, I mean, some good catching. Everything has been done well by New Zealand. If you're talking strictly about the contest, uh, for a change, I'm looking at New Zealand bowling versus Pakistan batting. I know we invariably talk about uh, Pakistan bowling, but I'm looking at Trent Bolt and Mitchell Santner against the top order of uh, Pakistan. I think that that's where the battle could be won or lost. Because as scratchy as it may seem, the last innings of Babar Azam, at least he's got something under his belt. Mohammad Rizwan and Babar Azam together haven't clicked. They've played a lot of cricket in the recent past against New Zealand as well. Let's not forget when these two teams clashed, these two teams had an entire tri-series. When I say tri-series, obviously you had uh, Pakistan, New Zealand and Bangladesh just before the start of this tournament in New Zealand. So they are extremely familiar with whatever each other throws at them. But if you're looking strictly at the contest, uh, one in the power play between uh, Trent Bolt and the top order of uh, Pakistan and then Mitchell Santner is shown us that flighting the ball and being tidy with his uh, lines do fetch wickets. I think these are the two contests that I'm looking at. Thank you, gentlemen. And now time for me to put you on the spot. Let's have your picks for the winners of this first semi-final. Yeah, I mean, for the reasons that I've explained, I would, you know, on paper, I would say that, uh, and on current form, as you know, Pakistan certainly had back alley exposed to, uh, given to them by Netherlands beating South Africa. That's why they're in the semis. Now, that could trigger off massive ambition uh, and energy in the Pakistan team. So, obviously, that you can't discount. But on sheer consistency of performance by the batsmen, by the bowlers, and obviously by the brilliant fielding, New Zealand would be ahead. Also, don't forget, Kane Williamson, who looked to be this, you know, the, the weak spot or the weak point in the New Zealand batting has also come good. And if you have a captain who's making runs, uh, it just makes such a big difference to the team, doesn't it? So I would actually say, much as all of us anticipate or would like an India-Pakistan final, I think in the first semi-final, I would say that New Zealand are ahead. Yeah, I think New Zealand uh, should go in. I mean, on form, on paper, everywhere. I think New Zealand should go in as favourites. The emotional angle tells us that India-Pakistan will be your dream final. But if you're looking at what New Zealand enjoys, they enjoy the pace. At different points in time, somebody has done remarkably well for New Zealand, whether it's in the fast bowling department, whether it's in the batting department. There have been situations where they've they've been down to 15 for three. And somebody has not just bailed them out, but have done really well for them. Finn Allen at the top, Glenn Phillips coming in, Kane Williamson scoring those runs, Mitchell Santner doing the job. I mean, to be fair, I think at the start of this tournament, I even expected a Michael Bracewell to have a hand in this campaign because he did very well coming into this campaign. So when you're looking at the strength and the depth and in terms of uh, the variety that they have, uh, both in the batting and the bowling department, they walk into this contest with a lot of confidence behind them. And let's not forget the world is probably expecting or thinking that Pakistan will do the job now that you know South Africa has really helped them qualify for this stage of the competition. So in that sense, Everybody is looking at Pakistan. As usual, not too many are focusing on New Zealand. Thank you. And let's move on to the match that all of us in India are looking forward to. India versus England. Ayaz, any favourites? We've had a bit of a history with England of late, haven't we? 
who are you rooting for this is a tough one you know this is really a tough call to make because uh, england in my opinion looked the best team going into the tournament look like they might even not qualify but they came back thing is that this english team bats almost number 9 and it's a very assorted kind of a batting lineup they've got josh butler they've got liam livingston you know they were moin ali all these guys are capable of winning matches of their own bat david malan we'll have to wait and see if he is uh, fit because he's been amongst their premier t20 cricketers if he's not fit then it's a bit of a problem for them but not too much sam curran you know he can swing a match around with bat or ball a lot of all-rounders again a very brilliant fielding team i think also though a little too dependent on a good start you know if the power play goes well if somebody like a josh butler is there till the end of the six overs then of course the opposing team has to fear a lot they haven't had that kind of uh, starts all the time in this tournament josh butler coming into his own towards the end of the super 12 but they've got some very good bowlers mark wood is somebody who's really impressed me with his consistently high pace you know he's in red hot form bowling at really high velocity he can trouble the best batsmen they've also got a couple of spinners moin ali and adil rashid ben stokes coming into his own the last match when they beat sri lanka it was largely because of ben stoke because he seems to be a guy who seems to have cold blood in his veins you know the, the more daunting the situation he he just comes good now ben stokes could be the x factor in this match with bat or ball or both so i think india have looked very good barring that hiccup against uh, south africa but south africa at that point in time looked, looked a very good team and you know you have to give them credit for winning that match but look at what happened india has had I think three last over matches, last over finishes. In fact, almost of the last delivery, and they've won two of those. They lost one of those, and they've really fought hard to defend low scores, which I think is a good sign. It shows that the team does not throw in the towel easily. What's also going for India is somebody like KL Rahul has hit big runs in the past couple of matches. Yes. Rohit Sharma still seeking his best he's been getting the starts Virat Kohli has looked in fabulous touch and you know the icing on the cake is the way Suryakumar Yadav is batting we actually we have not even we've not even looked beyond these four to see who else can get runs so there's Hardik Pandya I don't know if they'll play Rishabh Pant or they'll play Dinesh Karthik but India have got I think a very good batting lineup in the bowling so far it's really performed well the bowling remember they are without jasprit bumrah who's been the linchpin of the attack for quite a while but mohammad shami has lived up to reputation so to bhubneshwar kumar the revelation has been arshdeep singh who's been fantastic for somebody who's playing his first tournament and then the, there are the spinners and i think that's where a bit of an issue comes in because uh, you know akshar patel hasn't been getting the wickets Ashwin has got a couple of wickets even in the last match but Ashwin is very canny and I still expect him to you know bring his experience to the fore he can outfox uh, he is a wily customer he can outfox batsmen even of the caliber of Butler and Livingston and who have you but I think the only issue I would see is the second spinner spot unless of course Indian think tank uh, pulls the rabbit out of the hat very late it's not a rabbit out of the hat but if they play Yuzvendra Chahal you know that would be a surprise because he's not played as yet but it could be a pleasant surprise in many ways and leg spinners have done well in this tournament as you know uh, somebody like a shadab khan is very crucial to pakistan's progress at to this stage so i think the leg spinners always an advantage the only hitch and we mentioned we talked about this in pakistan's case also with new zealand is in the fielding india have had some moments great moments in the field but you know if you look at the performance in the tournament Overall I think England are definitely the better fielding team. 
Anarki, what's your take on the head-to-head? Stokes versus Surya Kumar Yadav, is that the matchup that decides the outcome? Well, I think when I look at this uh, India-England semi-final, first things first, uh, the thing that strikes me is England, to be fair, haven't played exceptional cricket. Not the kind of cricket that we've always thought that they would play, yet they are here in the semi-finals. Right? So that's point number one for me. Because I thought when I looked at that England squad at the start of this tournament, I thought they were going to smash about 200, 220 every time they're going to come in. But that hasn't happened, which is a good thing and not so good thing because you don't know when that is going to happen. And if that happens on the eve of the semi-final, it's going to be very difficult. But the other way of looking at it is the Indian bowling has pleasantly surprised a lot of us and it has brought about a smile on our faces. So that is good. But having said both these points, we are getting into November, which is probably just about the time when under normal circumstances, the teams start arriving for a full-fledged tour to Australia. Look, October, you don't play too much cricket in Australia at all, which probably explains why some of those surfaces, some of those venues had enough and more help for bowlers, uh, which is also one reason why quite a few bowling teams have done very well. So things are easing out. The next thing that I would look at is the venue for the same. It's the Adelaide Oval, which means you're looking at short square boundaries. About 60, 65 meters is what you're looking at. Is there a case, therefore, for bringing in Yuzvendra Chehel? But talk about that. Would you make that big change on the eve of the semi-final? That's a selection uh, thought process that Team India would have. But if you can kind of restrict England, the reason why I use the word restrict is because if there is one thing England hasn't done particularly well this edition of the World Cup, I think it's the strike rate against the spinners of those English batsmen. So are you willing to look at that matchup and try to push on or try to strangulate the English batting order, if at all that is possible, that is going to be interesting. But as far as India is concerned, India have done well. The batting you mentioned about Surya Kumar Yadav, he's been fantastic. There's no two ways about it. I'm still concerned a little bit about Rohit Sharma's form. I think barring that innings, which wasn't his fluent best against Netherlands, if I'm not mistaken, otherwise he hasn't got runs under his belt. Kale Rahul has looked good. But again, would want to see him perform consistently on those big matches. I mean, semi-final is as big a stage as you can get, probably next only to the final. So there are things that India need to iron out. And as Ayaz Bhai said, I mean, you look at somebody like Ben Stokes. When we started this particular tournament or this edition of the tournament, strictly in terms of numbers, I don't think Ben Stokes would have merited a place in that playing 11 at all. As big a cricketer as Ben Stokes is, he doesn't have great T20 numbers. He's got good test match numbers. He's got good ODI numbers. Of course, he's retired from ODI cricket. But T20, it's the stage that he likes. It's primarily for those big occasions that he has been brought in. And against Sri Lanka, it was a tricky chase. He hung in there. It was a very unlike Ben Stokes kind of an innings. And he finished that particular game for his side. So look, it's still an even contest, I would say. We haven't seen the best of England and we would want to see the very best of India. And that is why this semi-final could be an absolute cracker for me at the Adelaide Oval. And once again, time to be on the spot. Where are your picks, gentlemen? Ha, that's the tough call. You know, I think, okay, so I'm sitting on the fence, but I'm not. I think that the match will be decided by how the middle overs are played by both teams. I think middle to end. What we've seen so far on these, RK mentioned that uh, England, he mentioned in the context of England that, you know, everybody expected from them scores of 200, 200 plus. But actually what we've been seeing in most of the matches is that if you get about 160, 165, 
you have a very good chance of defending the score or tough task to chase it down. You know, about 140 is too little, but about 160 is competitive. 175, 180 puts it out of most teams' reach. That's because of the spicy wickets that we've found. Enough in it for the bowlers. Also some turn, also some bounce, the big stage. And I think this is what we've seen. The pattern is that most teams throughout the tournament, barring the stray match, have struggled in the power play, lost a couple of wickets, and it needs rebuilding and a good, clever finish. I'm not saying necessarily a strong finish. Ben Stokes leading his team to victory against Sri Lanka was not a slam-bang innings towards the end to you know take England home. It was a very measured, very careful, very cautious you know singles and twos. Just try and see the side home. Now, that kind of game sense and circumspection is also going to be, become very necessary. I think this is going to be, in a way, big cat-and-mouse game because both teams are extremely strong. They've got very similar results throughout the tournament. England, of course, had a, a bit of a luck, you can say, or maybe not, that one match of theirs was rained off, which was against Australia. But it gave them one important point. India didn't have to face any problems with the weather. But India have been in the tight situation, as I mentioned earlier, three matches going to the last ball. They won two of them. I think they've fared better when it comes to these close matches because they've done extremely well from the middle to the end overs. Now, it's not by big margins. England beating Sri Lanka is another example where England won playing so well in those overs. So, it's a toss-up. But the way I see it is uh, this could well become a match between how Ben Stokes and Hardik Pandya fare for their respective teams. Because both have very similar roles in their team. Hardik can start off well in the batting, has bowled really well throughout the tournament, is a brilliant fielder. So too Ben Stokes. In fact, if anything, just going by match after match after match, I think Hardik has been a slightly better performer in this tournament. But as we've seen in the last innings, Ben Stokes coming into his own and the big stage, you never know. So I think this could be the deciding factor of this match, Ben Stokes versus Pandya. I would go for India for a couple of reasons. Uh, as is mentioned, it's the short boundaries at the Adelaide Oval. The side boundaries are short and therefore you might want to look at uh, Indians who might who are pretty good pullers of the cricket ball. And secondly, the romance between uh, Virat Kohli and the Adelaide Oval. We've heard that before. Hopefully, once again, as well, in front of what should be an absolutely wonderful crowd, which should be rooting pretty much for India, isn't it? I mean, in Australia, you don't root for England ever. RK, we've had some fairly big upsets, you know, even before the uh, Super 12, as it was called. But the most recent and telling one probably is South Africa losing to Netherlands. Or was it Australia failing to make the semi-finals? Which, which one ranks higher for you? Well, I think if you're talking about an upset, I think Netherlands. As much as we say that, look, yes, South Africa doesn't really do at crunch situations. Against uh, Netherlands, I think they should have done the job, but they did not. Look, Australia not doing well is, yeah, it can happen to teams because you've got to play consistent cricket. It's also about how much you score, how quickly you score and what has happened with your side. So, in terms of the level of expectations, almost everybody expected Australia to walk into the semi-finals with the kind of squad that they had. Let's be honest, look at the other two teams that have qualified from that group. It's England and New Zealand that have qualified, that are very, very good sides in their own right. So, effectively, we did speak about the fact when we started this tournament, that was a very, very tough group. So, in that sense, I think Australia not qualifying. Okay, yes, they did not qualify. Yes, bit of a surprise, definitely. But the teams that have qualified are worthy competitors. But when you look at the upset, I think I would still look at Netherlands upstaging uh, South Africa as one of the biggest upsets. They've never, ever been in South Africa in any format up until now. 
and to beat them on a world stage is just a fantastic achievement and thereby uh, you know preventing south africa from getting into the final four I have one last question around cricket Bangladesh they had a real chance to make the semi finals this time and for a while you know they were doing pretty well in the first 10 overs some 70 odd uh, but then they just choked worse than south africa if you ask me and is it that the occasion got to them what keeps holding them back you know i mean look uh, i i think bangladesh have looked a team uh... shown of self belief it doesn't didn't seem that they were taking the field to win yes they won a couple of matches and they could they had a chance of getting into the semis but it looked a team if you let read the body language it just didn't seem inspiring enough in every match that they played you know we had a superb knock by lilton das against india uh, and shakib of course was always there as their most experienced and best player but he didn't rise to great heights and then there just didn't seem enough with the rest of the guys around and some of them have been around for quite a while you know somebody like a somya sarkar very stylish left hander but he's been around for 7 8 9 years and always touted as the next big thing in bangladesh cricket it's not happened uh, somebody like a mustafizul bowled well in patches didn't win matches so overall it seems to me that they haven't moved too far ahead uh, in the last maybe 4 5 years bangladesh in fact their record in world cup tournaments is quite dismal it makes dismal reading I think they have got a serious, uh, you know, task ahead of them. The Bangladesh Cricket Board, as well as the cricket establishment, whoever is involved, the coaches and, and some of the senior players, that they are just not moving ahead. In fact, teams like Ireland, they denied Australia the net run rate boost that Australia was seeking and pulled Australia down. Of course, Afghanistan added to Australia's goals later. But I'm saying these are teams and Netherlands, you know, and all these teams, even Afghanistan, they've got. talent pools which are which is which are far you know smaller than what bangladesh has afghanistan won't have 35 40 registered players but bangladesh have been full members for a long while uh, and they should be doing far more for their own cricket than what i have seen so overall i think bangladesh were very disappointing in this tournament well thank you so much for that you both have been most insightful and are probably spoiled sports for predicting an india versus new zealand final but we'll have to wait and watch how that goes meanwhile let's move on to some other sporting action from around the world here's somil arora folks jirat pk has retired no i don't mean he's going to retire at the end of the season jirat pk has retired he has played his last game of football in november in the middle of a season now If you're watching Barcelona for a long time, you can probably see this coming in terms of the footballing side of it. That PK was getting slower, teams were finding way past him, and he just seemed tactically out of depth at the top level of football. Understood. But why November? Normally, a player would retire at the end of the season, right? Maybe get a huge testimonial in front of their home fans, and especially when it's a legend like Gerard Piqué, who's won a World Cup, who's won multiple Champions Leagues, who's won endless league titles in Copa del Rey, and Think even the Premier League when he was at Manchester United, right? So when you have a bona fide footballing legend, you expect them to retire at the end of the year with all of the fanfare. But Gerard Piquet just randomly posted a video saying, "Guys, I'm done. I'm going. I've got a message for you. Watch my last game this weekend." And he left. Everyone was left scratching their head, like, "Why has this happened now?" We expected it, but the timing's a bit off. But if you actually understand the backdrop of Barcelona's financial issues, this will somewhat make a little more sense. 
it's as bad as a debt if you're one of their board members because the club is struggling with financial issues and they've kind of leveraged their future to get some cash flow in the present. And Gerard Piquet is one of their highest paid players. Yes, Piquet has taken major pay cuts over the course of the COVID period to ensure that Barcelona are financially afloat. But even still, he gets paid seven-figure sums consistently every year. And Barcelona were like, hey, you're our fifth-choice centre-back. When you play, you're terrible. We don't want to pay any more money to you. So, PK was like, okay, let's end this amicably. Let's finish this off. Don't terminate my contract. I'm trying to concede uh, whatever million earnings that I'm going to get over the course of the next few months by playing. But I'm, I'm fine to let that go. But I don't want my contract to be terminated. I want to end this relationship peacefully. And that's exactly what happened. And so PK essentially goes down as a club legend, not as a legend whose contract was terminated, but he one who bit the bullet before the bullet bit him, if that makes sense in a way. So kind of strange and a sad way to be discussing the end of Gerard Piquet's career, but what a career he had. He's won so much, such an influential figure in the world of Spanish football and the partnership that he's formed with so many centre-backs over the years, especially notably the one with Carlos Puyol is so, so memorable and we just wish him the best of luck in his future and we will know more about him because he's going to reveal more about his investments, more about his business because he is, believe it or not, one of the part owners of the Davis Cup tennis tournament through his ownership company, in through his venture capital company called Cosmos Capital. So he's got a lot of money coming in otherwise. And his personal life is also going through some rocky times. But that's not for us to speculate on. What we can say is that he's been a lovely player in the world of football. And this comes as a very weird end, but sort of appropriate given the backstory. And for the Premier League, this weekend was just wild. At the end of the day, we saw Arsenal beating Chelsea somewhat comfortably. I mean, we know that they're getting forward and this just means that Chelsea now have two losses in a row and Arsenal do lead the table. But the other big results were Manchester City bouncing back at Fulham. Even though they had a red card, they ended up winning 2-1. And Erling Haaland returned and scored a goal. And yes, normal days are back. We also saw a major fixture in the form of Tottenham versus Liverpool. And that was a grudge match. It was really fun to watch the pace and the energy of the game and how Liverpool played seemed like they were back again. But I just I just seem to say that every week now, so it kind of makes no sense, right? Mohamed Salah got the double. You could see how Liverpool were outplaying Tottenham and it was a well-deserved win for them. But for Tottenham, it's more struggles all the way. Newcastle United, the members of our new Big 7, ended up beating Southampton 4-1 in a very convincing performance. And Miguel Almiron has just become Holland number 2. He's kept on scoring consistently. I think it's his seventh consecutive weekend of scoring a goal. So he's been fantastic. And the big one is that Aston Villa beat Manchester United 3-1. No, that was a tricky, tricky one, right? United, of course, started with a second-rate team. Tony van der Beek was playing and Ronaldo was starting up front when we had Alejandro Garnacho playing on the left. So you could tell that this team was not the first-choice team. But regardless, that was a terrible performance by Man United who were completely toothless. And the likes of Ashley Young, the former United player, made them pay. But it was eventually, of course, a combined effort. And Aston Villa with the new manager, Unai Emery, really showed like they had a tactical revolution under their bag. And with Emery, I just wonder how well Aston Villa can do because they've got a really good squad. They just needed a good manager. Now that he's arrived, well, things are going to be on the upside for them. What a crazy weekend of football. PK retiring, the Premier League going manic. Ah, I love this game. Cast your mind back to the 2021 US Open. The first round of the tournament, Novak Djokovic, the world number one, is playing against a young Danish player who's just won all three of his qualifying matches. His name is Holger Rune, 
And there is some murmurs about him, about how good he is, but no one's seen him ever on a Grand Slam because this is his debut. In the very first round, Novak Djokovic completely outplays the Dane, ends up winning the set by a big margin. But in the second one, Holger Rune comes back and wins the second set in a tie-break. In the third one, though, the scene was set for an outstanding upset, but it didn't happen. Holger Rune ended up cramping late in the set and ended up losing that match to Djokovic. And Djokovic really appreciated his efforts. He was like, this guy is a man for the future. Fast forward only one year, and Rune has now beaten Novak Djokovic to win the ATP 1000 Masters Tournament in Paris. Yup, he's only 19. He's now in the top 10 of the ATP rankings, and he stunned Djokovic, actually. He ended up winning against him in the first set, lost the second one, and then won the third one. Kind of the opposite of exactly what happened at the US Open last year. And now we are seeing a new star rise up the ranks. Now, with Holger Rune, it was somewhat expectedly unexpected because he's been making a lot of the ATP Tour finals over the last couple of months. And we did see that he was bringing up a little bit of momentum. But this win surely, surely has to be classified as an upset because we knew that he was good, but we never knew he was this good. We knew that he could potentially get into a round like the semi-finals at times, but getting to the finals and beating a Djokovic, yes, who's not in the best of form recently and has not quite played a lot of tennis in the months leading up to it. Regardless, that is a fantastic win by the Dane and could be a cornerstone moment. We're seeing new stars like him, like Carlos Alcaraz emerge in the world of tennis. And for all we know, we may not be so sad to let go of the likes of Federer and Nadal because at the end of the day, new really exciting stars are coming in and they're not, not just becoming the stars because the other ones are going. They're actually beating the legends of the present day on merit. And that is frankly amazing to see. Thanks so much for that, Somil. There's a lot more action coming up with the ATP Finals starting up next week, right after the World Cup Final. We'll bring you all of the action from that as well as it happens. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, goodbye. Okay.